Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Thanks to Primally Pure for supporting today's episode of Elevating Motherhood. Primally Pure is one of my favorite companies. They excel at creating safe, natural skincare products made with quality ingredients. Primally Pure has become my go-to brand for clean, non-toxic face cleansers, creams, and serums. They are also the makers of my favorite deodorant. If you are looking for a natural deodorant that is aluminum free and also effective, I highly recommend any of the Primally Pure deodorants. I personally love the Blue Tansy scent. I have quite a few friends who love the charcoal one as well. Primally Pure has generously offered a discount code for listeners. Be sure to use the code LORIBETH10, L-O-R-I-B-E-T-H-1-0, for 10% off your first order. For my personal review of their products and more information, head over to elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash Primally Pure. That's elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash Primally Pure. Today's episode is also sponsored by Beautiful and Simple, an online boutique I've created and filled with products that remind us to slow down, practice self-care, and focus on the meaningful parts of our day, the beautiful and simple moments. My favorite mug in the collection is the one that says you cannot pour from an empty cup. It's my daily reminder to take care of myself so I can take care of my family. Go check out the collection of mugs, shirts, and bags currently available at beautifulandsimple.com. That's beautifulandsimple.com. Wow, today's episode is life-changing. I know it was for me, and I have a very, very big hunch it will be for you too. Elizabeth Melendez Fisher-Good is here with us today. She is an author, she is an activist, a mom and just an incredible human being. The work that she is doing on this planet is just enormous. It's so compassionate and she's so driven and speaks so much truth into so many people's lives and holds their hand and helps them up. And she's doing that in a huge way with her organizations. She's also doing it on a one-on-one level with her book, Groomed, Overcoming the Messages that Shaped Our Past and Limit Our Future. The book is out now. I've read it. I highly recommend it. Wow. She talks about it in this interview, but we also go beyond that too. I know that I brought a lot of assumptions to the table before we completed this interview and she busted through all of them. This book is not just about sex trafficking or being groomed for things like that. It is a book about all of us. And I think that you will gather that from today's conversation. Elizabeth is bold and accurate with a lot of her observations about how we as women, we as people in our society are groomed for a myriad of things. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Just to give you a little bit of background about Elizabeth, in 2011, she co-founded what is today the leading provider to domestic survivors of sex trafficking, Sela Freedom. This organization provides prevention curriculum for over 10,000 kindergarten to 12th grade children, life-saving, safe housing, and resources to survivors, and education on this issue to millions annually. It also trains and partners with law enforcement, the FBI, and United States Attorney's Office to bring freedom to survivors and has been deemed a model organization serving this population. With her direction, she has led the organization in a financial growth of over 200% annually. She's also launched the Sail Away Foundation, a global network of leading service providers with three initiatives, prevention, protection, and provision. 
The goal of these initiatives is to get ahead of this issue in hopes of eradicating it and become a model and training arm for the international community. Elizabeth is a passionate pioneer and inspirational thought leader in the movement to eradicate sex trafficking and expose the root of the issue, childhood sexual abuse. She has spearheaded an awakening and brought partners and resources together with proven solutions to save lives. She's also the author of Groomed that just came out this year that we'll be talking about that I mentioned earlier. You know, using her own story of abuse, family tragedy, and rebellion, Elizabeth guides readers toward an understanding that grooming is oftentimes subtle, but it's always life-altering. She offers readers a way to overcome their past, starting with the all-important but rarely explored idea of a sela, or a time to rest and reflect, and exploring active ways to forgive and move forward to a new level of freedom. Elizabeth has been highlighted and described as, quote, part healer, part businesswoman, all resolve. If Sailor Freedom is bringing light into the darkness, as the slogan says, then she is the one behind the megawatt. She is the recipient of the prestigious New York City Global Business Leader Award and Tampa Bay Businesswoman of the Year Award. Elizabeth has her bachelor's in communications and her master's in clinical psychology and one of the biggest hearts I have ever met in my whole life. So I know you will be touched by today's interview. I cannot wait for you to get to know Elizabeth and the incredible work she is doing and really celebrate with me the way she shows up for women and moms and supports us no matter where we are on our journey. So without further ado, let's welcome the incredible Elizabeth Melendez Fisher Good to the show. Aloha, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Aloha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Well, I'd love to invite you to share your story a bit about who you are, what you do, and how those all came together in the creation of your incredible book, Groomed. Hmm, Big, big, big question there. (laughs) Yes, huge. Sorry. (laughs) Share it all. All of it, right? All all of it. But um, I think think what's interesting is, you know, you always know what your story is, but you don't really know the relevance of your story. until you get put in certain situations. And I was super passionate always. Like I have received my master's in clinical psych 20 some years ago. I've really been intrigued in sexual abuse because I had it happen in my own life and realized sort of thought that was the root of my secrets and whatnot um, of how I learned to just not say things and stay quiet. But um, every time I went to counseling or had some major something in my life, I always stem back to when my sister was killed. So in reality, you know, what the book walks people through, I think people hear the title and they think groomed. Oh, she runs a sex trafficking organization. This is going to be all about sex trafficking and how we could be groomed to be trafficked. Um, And I didn't want to have a book just about that because that's so limiting. And as we discussed earlier, a lot of people don't want to hear about trafficking. It's horrific and it's scary. Um, but I realized it gave me a platform to share a bigger picture, which is my story that I share in it. And I weave it through the sex trafficking experience that I've had. So people will learn about it and that it's, you know, not as hard to imagine. It's close at home than people think, but it also is a, a tool for freedom of people to just really look at their own lives. And probably the catalyst for how this book got written is um, I had gone to a writing workshop about 10 years ago, believe it or not, it's a long time. And I fell in love with this literary agent who had been behind one of my favorite books that came out through Thomas Nelson and really thought, wow, if I write one day, I want to work with him. And then all of a sudden, Sayla Freedom started, um, sort of just found me and I reluctantly said yes. And it has been like championing a tsunami. Like I said yes to something that, um, it's just sort of the movement. I feel like it's God's heart. It's been the movement of this era. You know, the last decade, everybody has like, had this awakening around, oh my gosh, what is this trafficking thing? Um, but through it all, as I was working with girls and delving deeper into the stories and, you know, realizing that there's similar roots below all of it, 
um, my own life started to unravel. And I've been one of those perfectly, I was one of those women that looked so perfect on the outside, <laughs> the kind that we all get annoyed with and um, really sort of positioned myself to always be like the leader of this, the leader of that, the organizer of this, the, you know, the head of that. And just, I could do anything I could push through. I could make things happen. And then um, just realized my, my facade wasn't going to stay in place forever. And it just started crumbling and my marriage started crumbling. And as I would listen to the girls' stories, I would be like, wow, you know, their stories sound like mine. And their experiences are similar to some that I'm currently even living. And it was just so bizarre. And so when this agent who I'd met years earlier called me and said, hey, um, some of the large pub houses, I guess there's five major publishing houses, they're, they're asking about if you're going to write, they're looking for a new thought leader in this space. And I said, Chip, my, my, my world's so upside down. I'm so broken right now. Like, I don't even know what my story is. And um, it was one of those painful times. So to be asked to write, like Parker Collins, I'm not Schuster. They want to know if you want to write. But to be like, I'm so broken. I don't know my story. Um, but I think that's the place I needed to be to get it to be as all-encompassing as this turned out to be. I love how it turned out. And I think because it's just transparent. I had, I led a group last night online for the first time. It was really fun. And all the women said, your book is so authentic. And the way you speak, it brought up things in me I haven't thought about in 40 years and realized, oh my gosh, I have that secret too. And it just, it just brought me to this place of healing. And then it just started flowing. So I, I such a long-winded answer, but that was a really big question. So I'll let you jump <laughs> Oh, you did a great job. You did a great job. I know. It's, um, yeah, you did a wonderful job and you hit the nail on the head. I was one of those people who looked at the title of your book, looked at the topic um, of your organization, Sale of Freedom, and thought, oh, sex trafficking, this is going to be a book about that. And I opened it up and was completely gobsmacked that it was actually about me too. It was about me and my upbringing and it showed me so clearly that I had been groomed my whole life for exactly the things that you mentioned in the second part of your book for appearances, to be invisible, to endure, which really hit home in my motherhood chapter here, you know, for judgment, for financial fear. And to be honest, I cried a couple of times. I wasn't expecting it. You know, I'm <laughs> showing up and doing the work and realizing that I want to heal myself as a mom, as a woman just as a person, because I have three daughters who are watching me and I want um, putting in the work and doing the work to be normal for them, if you will, and then also not dump a bunch of stuff on them. And boy, this book was completely eye-opening <laughs> and intense and freeing, like you said, all at the same time. So it was like a call to intensity and to look deeper. But then uh, the freedom that I felt from acknowledging that at the end was awesome. So I actually love for you to explain to my listeners um, the notion of grooming so that they can understand that the term doesn't isn't exclusive to topics like sex trafficking right like what, what, what do you want yeah what, what do you want women to know about grooming well I love what you said and I thank you for sharing that and like your vulnerability and sharing that it touched you um, because I think that's the surprise with the book is people are like mm -hmm. oh it's just gonna be a topical book about trafficking but it's so not and um, again and again moms will say every every mother needs to read this because yeah. probably the deepest, deepest cry of my heart and my greatest passion is that we do have an awakening with our, you know, our demo, our, our age and our, you know, our generation of mothers, because the generation that came before us really was groomed to not speak about anything. Yeah. It was, you know, let's just pretend that didn't happen. Let's just shove that under the rug. Let's do, we don't talk about that. We don't do that. We don't, you know. There's just such a, um, at least in a lot of the experiences that I've heard and in my own life, um, and we're the generation that, and, and what research has shown and what is just so bizarre to me is that the very things that have happened to us or to past generations that are things you would never want to carry down the generational line, if they remain a secret, unspoken, mm -hmm. in the dark, they repeat. It's fascinating. It's generationally mm -hmm almost guaranteed that if you hide something, it'll happen to the next generation. 
I just said that to my husband last night and it's because of your book. (laughs) I said, isn't this an interesting fact? And almost like verbatim what you said, I was like, you're not going to believe this, but we got to do the work. (laughs) But we have such power. Like I think it's Mm -hmm. such a, um, it's such a double-edged sword because people are like, well, that's, you know, there's, I have too much shame or I would never say that out loud or people would never look at me the same again. But in reality, like the, the place of our deepest shame is actually our calling. It's like our greatest power because it's people believe, oh, it's just me. And oh my gosh, everybody will judge me. But there's thousands of people carrying the same secrets. There's no such thing as, some people say there's no such thing as a new idea. There's really not any secrets out there that aren't duplicated by the majority of the population. But yet things done to us or things that we've held in secret carry this profound shame. And every voice inside of us says, don't say, don't say, don't say. And the gift of this interview and the gift of this book and the gift of your heart being open and getting it is that we're the generation that's going to say, uh-uh, no more. Like every mom needs this. And I would say, no risk it, no biscuit. I mean, you've got to go for it. Is your daughter important to you? Is your son important to you? Do you pray that your grandchildren will never even know of what you might have had to endure in the ways we were groomed? Oh, I'm wondering if you could give us a few examples Um not to give away your whole book, for sure. I mean, there's so much depth to the book. There's no way you could give it away in an interview. But for, for example, for like for appearance, like how we're groomed for appearance, um, because at the very beginning of your book, you say, you know, the message that we're receiving when we're groomed for appearances, you exist only to make me look good. And I had to unpack that for a little bit, but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, because what you said is to help dispel the myth that it's just a book about grooming, about sexual stuff, but it's Mm -hmm. more about the strengths or the places we took on things to accommodate other people in our lives. And so often of it, like we say, everybody has groomers. Like when it first came out, I wanted to call it like, God was my pimp, or then who's your pimp? Because everybody had a pimp. (laughs) We were all groomed for something. Um, and it wasn't always intentional, you know, grooming used to be a word that was so positive and it was, oh, they're being groomed for Harvard or they're groomed to go to the family business. Um, and then what we are just trying to put common language around is you weren't unintentionally groomed for many things and the groomed for appearances, I think is a big one for women, especially with the generation we were born into. If we, you know, fall into the 25 to 54, you know, age range now, um, our parents, we're all really trying to acclimate and have a sort of persona and we were groomed to help replicate that persona. And like for me, you know, everybody's are a little bit different, but a lot of times parents will say you're a reflection of me, you know, don't wear that, don't do that. And, and representing to look and toe the family line, like what did your family represent and what were the underlying messages that you felt you had to show up as? And, you know, for us with strong fathers, my role was to make him look good. If he didn't like what I was wearing, go back there and change. If I dropped out of a Big Ten school, which I did, what will my friends think? I'm like, oh, my Lord, I don't know. I don't care. But, you know, it took a long time to say I don't know and I don't care because I did care. If he was disappointed and I didn't make him look good because his insecurities were fed through my appearance. And that's mm-hmm. a common theme. And sometimes we generationally will then take on a husband and have to what we were groomed for by our parents. That's why you're saying all these people, these epiphanies happening 20 years into marriage. And um, hopefully both parts of the marriage, the husband and the wife, want to be open to it and take things to the next level. But it's really common. And I do think it's subtle. And I think that's why everyone's surprised by the book because things come up that you're like, oh, I didn't see that. And that's interesting. And I don't want to do that to my children. Right. Right. And that's the double edge of this too, is not only reading it um, from as a parent, reading it for yourself and recognizing the patterns in your own life, but then also how it translates to how you're parenting your children. Because it's almost like I felt like I had to read the chapter twice or not read it twice, but think about it twice. (laughs) Once for myself and then to pause and then think about whether or not I was putting that on my kids. as well. Like you said, even subtly. Yeah. Or overtly putting the opposite Mm -hmm. of what we were groomed for. Like we, sometimes we know it's like a continuum. You had been raised Mm -hmm. so far over here on the continuum that you swing all the way over here. 
and you're implementing a whole different thing. And like my son said to me, I have two kids in college, and one of my sons said to me the other day, he's like, Mom, he goes, I can't believe you like just imparted all of your beliefs into me. Like, I didn't get to form my own beliefs yet. And I said, well, that's what parenting is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Like, you groomed me, but I'm like, oh, my Lord. You know, when I was trying so hard to not groom them the way I was groomed. And it, it's just so hard. But I think the awareness and the openness of being able to have conversations about it, that's the beauty of this book. Because you will, you'll laugh and you'll cry, right? You definitely mm-hmm. will hit different things. But if we just learn to walk in openness and awareness, it just invites conversation. And I think that's what we need to bring to the table. Right. It definitely gets you thinking. Uh, I, in fact, I, I was thinking about it just yesterday morning when I was um, with my six-year-old. <laughs> she's not She's not in college. She's not like the 16, 26-year-old. Yeah. But even then, having a conversation with her is like how much of it is me being permissive and how much is it not? And just this back and forth, back and forth. But it wasn't a heavy because I felt like I had a reference point. So it wasn't me judging myself and being like, oh, am I being too permissive with her? Or am I being too strict on her? Or which is it? Instead, this book was just a resource for me instead. So I I didn't feel the judgment in it, which I thought was really nice. I think that it's open-ended enough that um, you can apply your own life and your own story to it. So the individual can absolutely walk into this narrative and see themselves in it. Um, but it didn't feel judgmental, even though the topic is somewhat heavy. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point. Like I got to do the audible version. I went to Nashville to record it. So I'm in a booth for eight hours, you know, reading the story. And as I'm reading it, I'm like laughing out loud because some of it is, it's so ridiculous and heavy, but my examples are so authentic that it's, it's almost embarrassingly funny. And I think that helps everybody lighten up. And then other mm-hmm. parts of it. I mean, I, I just think it, it'll hit people in, in authentic places. Um, and, and with the groomed for appearances, you know, in my case, I had like a negative experience with how I held that and how I rebelled against it. And then unknowingly sort of sought the same, same thing, but it was packaged differently. Um, but some people's is different. Their, their intentions of their parents were so positive. And, you know, one of the examples gets into a girl whose father was like, Oh, you don't need to take, you don't need to worry about that. I'll take care of it for you. And everything with the mother he handled and the mother didn't worry her pretty little head about anything. And then the daughter was sort of raised not to worry, but it wasn't abusive in any way, shape or form. And it was like, Oh, we don't have to worry about that. That's what men do. And that's what my dad does. And that's not mine to worry about. And all the way through, you know, helping her pick her classes for college and just everything. And then when she got married, she was drawn to a man that, oh, I'll handle that, I'll handle that. But he had a bit of a narcissistic spin on him and it, it went dark and she didn't see it coming. And she's like, how did I get here? You know? And so it, it's just helping. And I think it's a tool for parenting because I, I talked mm-hmm. to my daughter, I have a daughter now who's 20. And I always say, you know, there's, there's a light side and a dark side of everything, you know, so the, the guys that you date, you know, think about this, think about that, ask this question, ask this question. And it can be a resource for us to use to help parent our kids because it's just, life is difficult, isn't confusing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> and as many resources as we can have, you know, exactly. the better, my gosh. Exactly. So um, I would like you to talk a little bit about um, how we're groomed to endure because when I first read that um, chapter title, I thought, huh, what on earth is this about? And then by the end, I was, again, blown away with like, yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> that one is my biggest, like, that's me all day long. And it, mm-hmm. it's so interesting because I always viewed it as a strength, you know, like, oh, I, I got it. Like, one of the things I always say in there is, oh, I got it. Like something else. Right. Give it, I got it. Give it, I got it. <laughs> oh, I got it. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I got it. Can you do this as well? Oh, sure. I got it. And exactly. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So as a mom, as a wife and and a workforce, anything. Um, And we're the most capable and we are the ones that people want to get the stuff to do too, because we'll do it. And it wasn't until, you know, a breakthrough, breakdown, (laughs) breakup, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) that I, and I've had multiple breakdowns through life of just, you know, emotionally, I can't do it. I don't got it. And I remember like mm-hmm. when my um, third child was born, my first two were 18 months apart. And then I had a third who was a little further, but you know, they were 
four and two, and then I had a newborn and the little four-year-old was like, hey, I want to do an art project and she'd be at my bed at seven in the morning. And my baby had been up in the middle of the night and we all know when you're just exhausted. I remember looking at my daughter and she's like, let's go. And Norma would be like, okay, I got it. Let's go do our art project. You know, perfect mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember the morning that I'm like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And a, and a woman had called me up, mentor, and a little older mom. And I just started sobbing. And she's like, what's going on? And I said, I just can't do it all anymore. I can't. I can't do it. And, and I, I'm just going to let everybody down. And she goes, oh, oh, good. She said, because whoever told you you should do it all? She said, the rest of us were wondering if you were ever going to take off your Wonder Woman belt because it's a little annoying to watch. <laughs> And so I think when you have, for me, you know, I had overcome so much trauma. I have lived Mm -hmm. a life like someone to look at me today would never guess what I've lived through. And those pieces of survival make us unusually strong and strong to a point that we can take on more trauma and things that we shouldn't take on. You know, our parenting is certainly not trauma, but appearances and keeping it up and enduring at any cost is based on over enduring often in childhood. And sometimes looking back, like for me, it's always going back to the root and being like, okay, I I can let this go because I'm not that anymore. And it's just a, it's a process. So yeah, I think I like that you bring up that chapter because that chapter always surprises people too. Like, wait a minute, there's something more here. Right. And it's such a, I can already, I I can hear the wheels spinning of listeners going, wait, but capable is like a really a good quality and it is a strength. And it's just kind of like how we get there. But like you said, it's enduring at any cost is the message that we're fed. And then we become mothers and we are basically told that we will endure at any cost, which on some level in our hearts, we will, but at the, at the cost of boundaries, if you will, like, it's almost like we're doing all of this stuff without listening to our body, without taking care of ourselves. And at the, by the end of that chapter about being groomed to endure, I thought, yeah, wow, this is where a lot of the stigma around self-care comes in. You know, we have to do this at any cost, at any cost, at any cost. And I thought, man, there's a different narrative in there that we need to be tapping into rather than you know, endurance. And I, I was so surprised by that. I loved it. I could, I could see the appearance um, chapter. I could see the being groomed to be invisible chapter, got to endure. You blew my mind. And then, <laughs> and then the next chapter was about how we're groomed for judgment. And boy, isn't that coming up on social media? <laughs> Big time judging others, judging ourselves. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What got you there? What? Cause that one is, they're, they're all pretty deep and they're fascinatingly, mm-hmm. you know, they, they stir stuff up and they make you pause. Right. 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 And not in, not in such a way that I felt overwhelmed at any point. Let's yeah. put it that way. And I think there's a reason for that, a very, very big reason for that. But later on in the book too, it's not its own chapter, but you actually mentioned that we're groomed to rely on our phones for everything. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh, that's clever. And so, so true. Yeah. So true. A lot of subtle things we're dependent on. And, you know, I think that the groom to endure and the groom to judgment, like in my life, um, I was raised so um, conservatively in like a church environment and mm-hmm. had all of this doctrine fed into me and, you know, God hates this and God hates that and God hates divorce and God hates. Um, and so when I found myself because of what I had lived through in situations that I should not have still been living in, um, I didn't allow myself the freedom. So much of what I had was self-judgment that I wasn't acknowledging, but it was the two goes, the chapters all like flow into each other. Cause I feel like the judgment that I had um, spurred me on to keep up the appearance appearances and keep up the enduring because I judged others so harshly, harshly on not even consciously, but and oh, well, that failed. They should have tried harder. Oh, they can't do that. Really? Mm-hmm. They can't do that. <laughs> And in in that mantra and in that dialogue, truly keeping up my own, having to 
endure and having to keep up my appearances because I've already thrown judgment down over there. And all that judgment is around things I get into never vows. You know, what are the things you're like, well, I'll never do that. Oh, that would never be my child. And I've never. <laughs> it's your one. <laughs> yeah. Guilty. After my first child. Oh my gosh. So my kid would never do that. Yeah. Three kids later. Wow. Yeah. And I feel like the humbling and things that have happened mm-hmm. to me are almost every area that I had that judgment and well, I would never, every never mm-hmm. vow I've made has happened to me. You know, I'll never have a kid on medication. Oh, I'll never get divorced. I'll never, no matter how big or how small, it's like it's come back to me. And I realized that those judgments um, create almost self-fulfilling prophecies because mm-hmm. if you're so harshly judging something, it's because you're still living out of fear or you're living out of reactivity. And when mm-hmm. you are so strongly pushing something away from you, it's almost like you're attracting it too. You know, it's only when we're healed that it loses its power, that it has no effect on our life. And so it's so interesting, the things that, you know, came up and out and are able to be poured into stories here because it all ties together. You know, and I was like, well, which chapter are you? I'm like, oh no, all of them. <laughs> No, you know what? That's so funny. I was, I was actually thinking that of, of, I think that some people would be drawn to this book for different things. Like someone would maybe want to dive directly into the chapter of how we're groomed for, um, to fear money, like the financial fear. Um, and I think some people would dive into it for that. And I was kind of doing that too, almost like a deck of cards of like, okay, which, which Enneagram number are you, you know, which Ah. one were you groomed for? And then you start to realize that it is all of it. And And you tie it all up kind of toward the end of your book where you say that the role of all of these different topics is that it, they suffocate our identity and who we truly are. And, and I love that you're on this path and encouraging other people to get to know their true selves, because that's what I am trying to do too for myself. And then to encourage other moms to do that because of the sense of freedom, because of the lightness when you yeah. drop all of these things you've been carrying, you just, and, and shed all of these masks and show up as your true self. There is so much peace and happiness in that. Yeah. And I think your book encourages moms to do that. And awareness is the first step, right? The, and that's what your book does for us. But then we have to move beyond the awareness and take actions that allow us to heal and get to know ourselves better so you, you do a very good job of describing it in the book, but I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit about how to overcome these grooming narratives. Well, what I think is interesting off of what you just said is, is I think we've, we've been deceived into like, well, I have to keep this up. This is the persona mm-hmm. that, and, and if we're even aware of it, but then if we start doing this work of like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I'm ready to go there. The authenticity of dropping the act or dropping the mask, like everything that we do is to either make ourselves feel better, make others happier with us, make things look better. You know, they're all based on a perception one way or another. And like the truth and the hardest thing for people to realize is that when you get to a place of just authenticity of you are who you are, wherever you are with whoever you're with, like I walk in the room, if I'm walking into the white house or if I'm walking into the neighborhood coffee shop, like I just walk in the same. And, and it's, it's been years of letting go of these insecurities and performance and thinking I, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going there. What am I going to, I lived for years of, you know, grueling. What am I going to look like? What am I going to wear? What are they going to think? Changing Mm -hmm. my clothes twice on the way to something. (laughs) Who am I? And what do I want to show up as? And what do they need me to show up as? And the freedom of, you know what? I know now, like I don't even have, I, I led a group, like I said last night on um, wine because, you know, everyone's stuck in their homes. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just a range of women from probably their late twenties to seventies. And one of them, she's like, you know, I wanted to do this group, but I'm scared because I still have secrets. And as I'm reading mm-hmm. your book, they're coming back to me and I'm realizing, why am I so afraid? She said, so I'm here because I'm I'm wanting to open my mouth and see what comes out, but I'm also so scared to open my mouth and see what comes out. But I know I want Mm -hmm. the freedom. I know I want to not be scared anymore. I know I want Mm -hmm. to be able to just be me and say, yeah, this happened to me. 
and not care. And I think it's amazing how few women are there and how that's the goal. Cause then we just pass this authenticity to our kids and honey, like, yes, this happened to you, but this does not define who you are or where you're going. And so often we let our past define our future. And it's just, um, I don't even remember what you asked me. <laughs> um, where are we going? Actually, that is amazing because I was taking a deep breath while you were saying all of that because mm. it just resonates as true so much. Um, yeah. Oh, just the awareness is the first step. But then, ironically, what you're also describing is the the next step, if you will, past um, and, you know into that healing. The next step after awareness is rest, what you yeah. call Sela. And I feel like that is actually kind of what happened to me while I was reading your book. I mean, to be talk about vulnerability, I read your book and then there's been a few days in between. And then with all of the chaos of the times, the current times, I had the opportunity to rest and really sit with a lot of, like you said, the secrets from my past. And I actually admitted some things out loud to like my best friend of almost two decades hmm. yesterday for the first time, just so I, I'm not carrying it anymore because wow. all of a sudden it felt different. <laughs> I know. Right. And I, yeah. was like, I was like, did I never tell you that? She's like, no. And mm. I was like, okay, well, there it is. And then that, yeah. and that shedding and that sharing, it's not like I'm dumping the burden on her. It's just saying, Hey, I think that this affects uh, me a little bit and who I am and how I show up and all of that. And she's like, well, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> now well, you make sense. Everybody else is fine. And it, it goes along with the message that I try to give moms too, of that we are lifelong learners and that we are unpacking this at the same time. And we're teaching our children and, it's okay. Those things can happen simultaneously and you don't have to be 35 and have it all figured out or 45 and mm. have it all figured out or 75 and have it all figured out because we're all learning, but you're giving us tools to learn. You're saying, Hey, here's some thinking points. And now, now that you're aware, let's rest because I think this Sela is what's missing for a lot of moms. We're not taking that time to download and receive the messages. So Tell us about Selah. I love that word. I just want to paint it on my wall. It's so I great. know. It, it's a Hebrew word, and it means to rest, to pause, or to reflect. And it's actually um, in the in the musical context. So it's like a musical rest symbol. And so mm. you'll see it um, in the Psalms if you are you know Old Testament or Jewish or anything of the Bible. In Psalms, at the end of, um, of lyrics, it'll say Selah. And it's to pause. And I think it's the piece that our culture has thrown out because mm-hmm. we are like trash cans, right? We're, are, we're always open. <laughs> and everything's yeah, always being dumped into us. Dump, 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 dump. And yeah. I think as a receptacle of incoming, constant incoming, and even with books or retreats or conferences, so often it's just incoming, incoming, incoming. You're taking notes, taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. And the the pause, you know, with Selah Freedom, the work that we do with survivors who've been in the, you know, abused and in the sex trafficking life, they, for the first time, come to us. And I think it's interesting that it takes, they say, on average, seven to eight points of intervention. Yeah, I read that and I was just blown away. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I think it's with anything in life. Like, yeah. you, you know, I'll have people say, I picked up your book, but I had to put it on the nightstand. I'm just not ready. <laughs> It's like, okay, that's touch point one, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's seven to eight points of intervention, not just for a trafficking victim, but are you ready to really look at your life? Like, are you ready? Do you want more? Do you believe there could be more? Are you excited that you could possibly change the generational trajectory of your family? Like if that's there and exciting for you, then invite you in. But the pause piece is so important because when a girl finally comes to Sayla, just like you said with the book, all of a sudden they're invited into a pause. And it's like, for the first time, it's really nothing to do. You're just going to have some great classes, some great stuff that you learn about yourself. And then you're just going to have a lot of time to pause. And we aren't made for that anymore. And if we just get still and you, you, each chapter has questions and right. And then it invites you into an official pause. Um, because that's the power, because I think when we're quiet, 
you know, that still small voice and that ability to discern and, you know, whatever it is for you, if you hear God or higher power, whatever you are, um, you need to get still because it's essential. I believe that our world is heading in such a crazy generation and whether you or crazy direction and whether you want to buy into it, believe it or not, our kids are already being groomed and they're being groomed exponentially fast tracked down a sexual and a um, addiction in things that were not even known of when we were kids. Like now they say the average age a child's exposed to porn is eight. And um, yeah, and our ability to not be able to speak to that could be disastrous for our kids because if our own upbringing made us have some taboo subjects, we don't talk about that and we don't talk about that. Guess what? The world is talking about it and it's grooming your Mm -hmm. kid and you need to have a seat at the table and be part of that conversation with your child. And I think the pause helps take an inventory of, you know, what are the things that I need to look at? Like, what are the, what are the pieces here that I was repelled by? And I just skipped it because I didn't want to go there. You need a really good Selah (laughs) (laughs) and let it come up because it's probably the greatest, biggest piece needed for you, your future and your family and your circle of influence. And Mm -hmm. I think we all carry authority and it's the things that we want to not go, I think are our greatest places of authority. So it's almost like a challenge. Like what is it that is freaking you out or you're not wanting to read? And what if you read it and then just took the pause? Because in that Selah, it's so unnatural. And if we allow it, things will come up. And then it's not like sitting alone in it. Like, I love that you went to your girlfriend. Because then she's probably like, oh, that puts you in context. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She's like, wow, that highlights a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. And if it's that obvious to somebody else, you know, a trusted person who's like, huh, that clarifies a lot, then then that kind of gave me permission to be like, yeah, it does clarify a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Cause people are putting their own narrative around you. So why not mm-hmm. take control of your own narrative? Like, Hey, listen, I come by it. Honestly, <laughs> did I ever share this story with you? <laughs> so, <P.S. laughs> and then it's sort of funny, you know, like if everybody has that permission and that freedom of man, let's talk about yeah. it. It's just a whole nother level of, of intimacy. Right. And it was that instant too. Like Mm -hmm. I am the next morning able to laugh and feel lighter about something Mm. that was heavy for years. And it's all because of that opening up and that release of it, if you will. Yeah. Your your book is so good. And I I, what you're talking about is spot on with they are being groomed. Our our children are being groomed and and I'm aware of that on some level to the point that we homeschool our kids. And I have to pause and, you know, decide what television I'm going to let them watch um, or not watch and realize that TV isn't just me turning it on as a distraction, but I need to be aware of who and what and what ideas are being spoken into my children. Mm -hmm. And then also in that context of even television or social media or whatnot, that is a distraction from the opportunity for Sela. We're saying we don't have time. We don't have time. We don't have time. Well, we're not taking that time because we haven't been taught to take that time to rest. And I think your book is a call to stop distracting ourselves. And you do it so well with your questions that you have at the end of every chapter. It's, it's less of a, um, uh, like a book club questionnaire and more of like a guided journal. I felt like, yeah, exactly. You hold our hands and take us into these hard truths and these depths, but ultimately all of that brings us healing. And it's like you offer us the gift and the clue and the tool of discernment. When I came across this word in your book, I was like, why isn't this like spread across the entire page? (laughs) This should be highlighted, italicized, underlined discernment. I dare say that there are going to be people who are listening, who are so far detached from the word discernment that they aren't even going to know what it means. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've turned it off. It's, it's a muscle that most people don't develop and it's such a gift. And, you know, even as you're saying it, I'm like, you know, listening to this, is what I love about it. It's like, I would say every time there's conversations, like if you do something alone in an isolation, 
It's great. You might have epiphany in your brain, but you could talk yourself into or out of anything in a heartbeat. But once you say it out loud, it has this power and it's almost like popcorn. Like you say it, then it stirs something in my brain. If I say it out loud, it's just exponential, exponential growth. And even as you said, you know, we don't take the time for the Selah. We're so overly, like we're inundated with social media. We're inundated with this, this immediate society that we live in. Everything's immediate, immediate, immediate. And so when my two college kids um, had to come home for this, you know, not go back after spring break, they're stuck here (laughs) unexpectedly. And then my high schooler, he's a sophomore and everybody's home and it's been hard. Like, I don't know how many of you out there are dealing with the dynamics of, you know, people that have been gone are now back home and they don't have the things to do and their whole life was disrupted. And so it's jarring. And I've been married for a year. I have a new marriage, which is just amazing and shockingly, who knew? (laughs) Who knew marriage was supposed to be like that? But um, all of us under one roof for the first time, you know, because everybody's been away at college. My daughter has her own apartment in New York. And we sat around with the kids. We did a family meeting the other night. And I'm like, let's just put out expectations because clearly everybody is annoyed and having their moments and there's not enough places. And, you know, what are our expectations? And when you just said that to me, I'm like, one of the things I should have said is I want 20 minutes a day and look how small 20 minutes is, you know, it's so small, Mm. but what if we had 20 minutes a day where we all just left our technology inside and came out on the lanai or the backyard and everybody just took 20 minutes to say a lot, like let their brains be free. Cause that's mm-hmm. when you have downloads, but I'm so addicted to my stupid phone. I can't put it down. And whenever I do, I get downloads that discernment. Like my friends are like, you say discernment all the time. I'm like, cause it's true. If we listen, we will get wisdom and we will get, you know, ask and you will receive and you have to be mm-hmm. able to hear and not have all of your airwaves cluttered, 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 cluttered. And mm-hmm. our kids need to be taught that. Like, what is it like to be still? Let's take a technology break. I mean, probably parents today with younger ones do because, you know, we didn't raise ours as technology. Mine are in their 20s and so. Mm-hmm. But I failed in that. I'm like, man, that should have been one of my expectations. And it came out of your mouth. And I'm like, listen to that. She read it and she said that after one little experience with my book. <laughs> so I think this is brilliant. It's not too late. Family meetings can happen every day. We actually are, um, we have family meetings with our small children. And yeah. I may or may not um, include Whole Foods vegan donuts in those for yeah. <laughs> that everyone looks forward to yeah. um, family meetings. They're like, yeah, we'll sit down and talk about anything. These donuts are delicious. The donuts. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, and we do, we talk about things. We talk about expectations. I love that. I love that you mentioned that of saying, even just thinking of that as a request, I would like that too. And mm-hmm. I understand what you mean about the phone addiction stuff. It's hard to be in a, I don't know, genre of work that requires us to have a certain amount of social media presence. And then also wanting to completely detach from that at the same time, again, like the lack of boundaries in there Mm -hmm. too. It just, because we aren't taught how to do that. And, and then also the very first thing I thought when you said, I, I should have requested 20 minutes and I was like, (laughs) Oh yeah. Like of like alone time because that's a great request. <laughs> yes, everybody leave me alone. On Mother's Day, I used to request the day away. I just want to go be alone. <laughs> I, know. I know it's coming up too. <laughs> yeah, it is exactly. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's like this whole notion of um, you cannot pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. And you kind of bring that up in your book um, toward the end when you say taking care of yourself is critical to taking care of those you love and living as a whole and healthy person is one of the most precious gifts you can offer those around you. I feel like that needs to be one of those fancy things like, you know, in a frame, the calligraphy frames, like on people's walls so that they get that message. Oh, and that they, again. what was it? What did I say? Oh, it's <laughs> on page 131. <laughs> Cause I, I love, I write in my books and I, and I quote everything and I just, I write down things that move me. And again, your book is an invitation to read and then download that information. So for me, this was a download. You said, taking care of yourself is critical to taking care of those you love and living as a whole and healthy person is one of the most precious gifts you can offer those around you. Amen. That's all I have to say. I just, it was so good. Just so good. Part of this whole process with your book too, is this notion of release. And I was wondering if you could um, speak to us a little bit about 
that. Yeah, the release. Because I think that's the thing that some people get stuck in. Like, have you ever had friends that are into all this like self-help and therapy and, and they just ruminate Mm -hmm. over and over and over. And it's like, you could talk to them in a year and it's the same stories, same conversations. And, and one of the things like, I have my master's in clinical psych, but I'm like not a huge advocate of individual counseling and regurgitating the same stories over and over because our brains and our neural pathways are like tread marks. You know, we can just dig in deeper and deeper and traditionally traditional therapy might not get you out of those tread marks, but it might just more deeply define and everything you do revolves around those stories and dear Lord Mm -hmm. and all the new science and neuroscience is about, you know, we are able to reset our neural pathways and we are able to recreate new neural pathways. And there is so much different type of trauma, you know, resolution therapy. And, um, and it's about letting things go and that no longer, like, yeah, this happened, but it no longer has to define you. And, you know, you hear it all the time, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Like, telling ourselves the same stories and carrying like fueling old messaging is not the answer. So often it's like people do step one, like get to the uncovering and I understand. And it was really because of this. And now I understand why I was groomed. And if you stay there, I've just created a monster and a mess and a blame machine. Like that's not Mm -hmm. the goal in any way, shape or form. But rather it's, you know, okay, I might understand now. And maybe for the first time, I'm going to let that come up. And there's some memories that might come up. Like people are telling me all the time, oh my gosh, this came up. I haven't thought about it in 40 years. And it's not to stay there and to be like, oh, I need five years of therapy about that. No, it's about let it come up. What is it making you feel? What does it bring up? Like, is this now the first time that you felt that? And you're realizing that there's things that you now pattern off of. Like when you started with your friend, did I ever tell you this? It helps her understand the patterns she sees in you today. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. You go back to release that you, the journey of going backwards is the journey of letting it go. That's not to hang on to it. And, but it's to, to speak to it. And, you know, this came up and, getting mad isn't the same as getting healing. That's one of the things that I, that I talk about, like getting to the root isn't necessarily getting the healing, but it's the releasing of it. Um, I say, don't allow a person who's hurt you to continue holding that piece of you, your heart, your mind, and your soul. It's time to let it go. And some people are so like, well, I don't want to let it go. That would be letting them off the hook. But it's like, getting that paradigm shift that no would be letting yourself off the hook and it exactly. does walk, walk people through sort of how to do that, which I think mm-hmm. is a like piece. It's not about staying there. Right. I, I love that. Do you feel like you have found the two missing ingredients in the recipe of life? <laughs> like rest. <laughs> the sale and, and the release. release. <laughs> you know? the two like, missing hey, everyone, I think this cookie recipe would taste a lot better <laughs> with oh these two vital missing ingredients. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so funny. You know, because I live in a world where it's so common, like what we do at Sela. And I think the reason we've had the success with survivors, you know, of statistically over the years, 75% of the girls don't return, you know, and some of the girls come to us and they've been in rehab 40 times and they weren't addictive. They were just thrown there because people don't know what to do to them, but getting them the healing at the root level and then helping them pause, reset, and then release, relaunch it's not done in most places. And it's so normalized in my world that I'm almost like, really, everybody doesn't know this. Um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because it's like we're talking about things that like, of course, you would have these two ingredients in a cookie recipe. Why would you not have those two ingredients? But then you start to realize that actually, no, people need to know more information and have these resources. And, and, And part of the release dialogue that you were talking about in your book, you actually mention ways that we can release this. So it's not like this just general hootie doody notion of like, okay, and now you're going to release it, but you actually offer steps and some thinking points. And mm-hmm. one of the ones that really struck me was 
approaching conversations with people that, you know, have groomed you or you have, you're holding on to issues with and coming at those conversations with the attitude that the person did the best he or she could with limited resources. Mm -hmm. And that was like a really hard pill to swallow for me, but I knew it was the truth. Yeah. Um, And I, I started thinking about it in relation to the work that I'm doing, you know, with the podcast is, I think one of the reasons that I decided to start it is because I was tired of moms being under-resourced. It's, it feels like generations of, like you said, quiet. We don't talk about those things. And then not having resources. We're like, oh, you're a mom. You should just know how to be a mom. It's in your DNA. You should just do it. And then some people leave the hospital not even knowing how to change a diaper but we're just expected to automatically know this or, you know, we get to, there's a reason that we call, you know, the two-year-olds terrible twos. It's because we are so under-resourced with how to understand that developmental milestone. And I think with the podcast, I want to start opening up those conversations and having them and then offering resources and not just stopping at the awareness Um, like the work that you're doing, you're not just stopping at the awareness, but you're helping guide people through that too. And I just think it is absolutely incredible that you take all of this information that's applicable to everyone's lives and you're helping us break those cycles, but then you are taking it into what a lot of people consider to be the dark place of, um, which it is, but the sex trafficking, but, but you, you are able to see the dark and the light in both of that. Yeah. Yeah. If listeners want to know more about the work that you do, the incredible work that you do, especially with Sale of Freedom, where can they go to find more information about your projects? Well, you know what? There are so many places you could go. We'll <laughs> <laughs> link them all in the show notes. <laughs> we have we have Sale of Freedom, which we have been doing for nine years. And depending on what market you're in, you could even volunteer. Like that's something cool. that is very hands-on and you could work with survivors. You could be part of prevention. You could even go in jails, like depending on where a listener lives, there's ways to be involved in that sense. And then we launched the Sela Way Foundation, which is just a more global, um, broader training arm. But one website that encompasses everything is my personal one that's, I think it's on the back of the book and it's free with E. Freewithe.com and freewithe.com will link you right into Sale of Freedom. It'll link you right into the foundation. And one thing that Sale of Freedom's doing for moms and dads and grandparents and teachers are um, online um, workshops. And one of them is called Sex Lies in Media. And if you go to the mm-hmm. SalaFreedom.com website, you could sign up for this and they're free. And it just talks about some of the things that we as parents really need to know because I used to intervene with my older kids. I would just, their phones would be plugged in in the kitchen overnight. And I would make sure that I had um, their passwords and there wasn't even passwords. There were flip phones back then. And I would look at their text messages every night and it would tell me I could intervene. If I saw one of them was on a path, I intervened a lot. Now mm-hmm. with Snapchat, their text messaging vanishes. I mean, it's horrific parenting. It should be illegal that kids are able to send stuff to each other and it vanishes and there's no trail. Like it's a whole different world we're living in of social media. And they say one out of nine children today are approached by a predator on social media. And it's usually under the age of 11. So I wow. think um, what what is being offered, might, people might want to tune into that. And there's other dates. I know the first one is sold out, but there's other dates that you could register. And it's just free, like you said, resources. So there's so mm-hmm. many different things. So if you go to freewithe.com, it will link you to both sites and just look and see what resources, because I, I have a feeling what we always say, talking about Sela and talking about what we do is sort of like drinking through a fire hose. There's a lot there. And yeah, we always fair invite enough. you into the Sela to pause, to rest, reflect, allow that small, yeah. still voice, the, the discernment to come up and you'll know what direction you want to pursue more. And I think if you go to free with E, there's resources that leads you in many different directions. So I would think that would be a great place to begin. That's awesome. Is um, freewithe.com also the place that listeners can find more information and resources about grooming? Yes. Uh, freewithe.com has a resource tab. And it also has, like, if somebody's like, you know what, I'm not wanting to talk to my friends about this. And this is a little much. It has some counseling resources and um I know that the few that I've listed there all do things virtual. So they would do FaceTime or Zoom video sessions. And 
whatever people need as a bridge is absolutely there. And they could contact me. And we're, I think we're going to be rolling out some Zoomed or some Zoomed, some groomed classes so that it's more of a place to show up and not feel like you have to speak, but you could just tune in and we'll be sharing sort of like you and I, you could host one with me. We could do it together. (laughs) And uh, we're going to be rolling out different options. Awesome. And you're on social media as well. Absolutely. And all of those links are there at freewithe.com. That's awesome. Is there any parting thoughts you want to leave with listeners about your book or this conversation? Well, I'm very grateful and I love what it stirred up in you because I think that's going to open the door for other people. Um, but my, my closing thoughts are just, you're worth it. Like you are worth so much more than you can imagine. And there's, there's so much more. I think so many people st- settle for status quo. And I think that we're all called into such a deeper, greater, richer adventure. And so I just encourage people, if you're sort of on the verge, like, mm, yeah, I don't know, just go for it. You are so worth it. And it will be, it'll be rewarding. That's amazing. You are amazing. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for taking multiple sailors <laughs> and sitting down and writing this incredible book. Yeah. Um, oh, I just appreciate you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anytime. Enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration or maybe a little of both. If you like today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.